Good morning. It's good to see all of you today. My name is Jacob Yarbrough, and I serve here as one of the elders at Calvary Bible Church. And uh, I'll be reading this morning from Second Peter, the book of Second Peter. It'll be Second Peter, chapter one, verses one through nine. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, 1995, and I invite you to join along with me as I read. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord and of Jesus, our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self-control, and in your self-control perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. And may God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Jacob. I appreciate you reading that. Um, Quite an interesting part of scripture. Uh, Welcome. Good morning. And for anybody that doesn't know, I'm Dwight Waldrop. I'm also one of the elders here at Calvary Bible Church. And while Pastor is away today, he asked me to stand in. So I'm going to brave the pulpit one more time. Uh, January was the last time I spoke. And actually, the message I'm going to deliver, the lesson we're going to look at today, is actually the second half of the message I preached back in January. Uh, And, you know, just like anything else, and when you teach or preach or however you want to put it, um, quite often God uses what's happening in your life to come out in the messages that you deliver. He also uses that sometimes to direct you where he wants you to be. Um, When pastor asked me to speak again, I kept thinking, well, back in January, uh, I preached out of uh, Philippians chapter 4, the things you should think on. The title of my message was, what are you thinking? And today that's a very valid question. What are you thinking? Uh, and so we went through quite a few things in uh, Philippians chapter 4. He talks about the things you should think on. And so today we're going to talk about what happens when you think on these things, the things that the character that should be built in you if you're thinking what you're doing, what you're doing is right, if you're uh, in God's Word. But we'll talk about that in just a minute. We talked about in Philippians the things that he told us to think on were things that were true, honorable, Right, pure, lovely, things that have a good repute or good report, 
virtue, and praise. So that's quite a list of things you should think on. We talked a lot about um, how you do that and the things that you can do to help you. Because often, too often, we get into this mode of, well, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I've become a believer. This is just great. God, give it to me via osmosis. And you stand there and go, okay, I'm waiting. And all of a sudden you go home and you still have the same thoughts. You still have the same temptations. You still walk into the same problems at work or in your marriage or wherever you're at or with your kids. I mean, all of a sudden you scratch your head and you go, well, I do. There is a change. I know God's changed me, but what's going on? Well, if we look through Scripture, God says, okay, I did the hard job. All right? I sent my son to live for you, die for you, and rise again for you. You've got, you know, you've accepted Christ. You've accepted Him as your Savior. Now I'm going to work on you a little bit. We call that sanctification. And that's the rest of your life. But God doesn't force you to do anything. And that's what's great about the God we serve. That's, that's the balance between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man is the fact that God's in there saying, okay, I'm not going to make you do anything. You're not a robot. But by the same token, I've done a lot of the work. Now I'm going to work in you. You've got the Holy Spirit in your life now. Now I'm going to work on you. I'm going to develop character in you. That's what we see here in Second Peter. But you've also got to participate. You've got to first think on the right things. You've got to put your mind, your brain in the right place. And that's in God's Word. That's where you start. And as a new believer, I know when I first, when I first got saved and came to know the Lord, I couldn't get enough. I mean, it was like a voracious appetite. It's like I just had to read cover to cover. I'm going to get this thing read. And then somewhere in Leviticus, it kind of got a little tough. I've been going through the Old Testament, my devotions, and I got through Genesis, and I'm in the last part of Exodus, and, and we're into the whole, okay, if your, if your cow, fall, you know, uh, wanders over and gores somebody, then you're supposed to, you know, kill the cow. And then, and then I'm like, okay. There's a lot there to be said. It actually, it's a very important part of the Bible because it teaches you the necessary, the necessity of grace that we see in the New Testament. It tells you you can't do it on your own. God says, I'm going to build character in you through thinking on the right things, through thinking on these things. And that's the second step I want to talk about this morning. The second part or the second half of that message is, okay, now that we've talked about the right things to think on, let's let's look at what character those things are supposed to build into your life. Now we're talking about actions. We're going from thinking about it, or how Pastor Gary used to say, it goes from head to heart to hands. You got it in here, the things you're supposed to think on. You're working on that. You're trying to think on the right things. And you're trying to get them into your soul, into your mind, into your body, into your habits so that they come out in your hands. They come out what you do. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning is character. It was once said by someone, hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn their sleeves up, some turn their noses up, and some just don't turn up at all. And I think that that's something we see here in Peter is it's time to it's time to show up. It's time to put practicality, put practice in what you're being taught. And the first four verses here, I mean, uh, 
Peter really gives us, it's amazing to me too, Second Peter has a special place in my heart anyway because when Barbara and I came to Calvary in 2007, um, it was it was an interesting time, but all of a sudden about, I, I guess sometimes late 2007 or early 2008, they came to me and said, hey, would you like to teach Sunday school? And I'm like, well, okay. Well, so uh, Herb Justinger was teaching First Peter at that time in the adult Sunday school class. And, and, he said, and I said, well, what if I teach Second Peter? So the first lessons in the first Sunday school class I ever taught at Calvary Bible Church was Second Peter, a verse-by-verse study through the Second Peter, which I don't know how long that took, probably six or eight months. It took me a year and a half to get through First Corinthians, but that's a whole other discussion. Anyway, so but in the first three verses, he lays the groundwork that gives us the power of how we're going to build this character in our lives. If you look at the verses, it's amazing to me what he says here. In verse 3, seeing that his divine power... Who's divine power? Well, let's back up to verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power, who? Jesus. His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these, what? What? What we just read about. What He's just done through the life and godliness and the knowledge of Him. By these He's granted us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, because of them, by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. One of the first advantages we see to godly character is being part of the divine nature. If we want to be part of the Christ, you know, we always say, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be, Scripture says, daily conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Well, you want to participate in the divine nature? God says you've been born and raised in a fallen nature. Now you have a new nature in Jesus Christ, and I need to teach you what that's all about. You've got to put away this old nature, what Paul says in Corinthians a lot of times in Romans. You've got to put off the old man put on the new man. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you these things because I want you to be partakers of the divine nature. And what we see in the next verses when he talks about these characteristics, you can go back to the Gospels and see Jesus displayed every one of these characteristics. So the first advantage, the first reason we should have this godly character, think on the right things in order to have it, is so that we can be partakers of that divine nature and put off the worldly lust. And then verse 5, now for this very reason, apply in all diligence, your, in your faith, supply moral excellence. Some translations use virtue. And to your moral excellence, knowledge. Let me stop right there. So the first thing he does, it says, okay, for the reasons said above, because you have precious and magnificent promises, because you're participating in the divine nature, I want you to add to your faith diligently these things. He gives us in the next verses seven virtues. Five of the virtues are internal. Two of them are external. Five of them are the things that are going to change about you. Two of them are the things that you're going to do that display or work out to other people. And actually, they all end up working out to other people. Because as you have those characters, characteristics in your life, then you're going to display them in your actions and how you act, and that will affect other people. 
But he says, I want you to apply all diligence. He calls you to be diligent in all of these things. The one thing we, in the quote that I read, I thought was good. Peter calls for diligence, discipline, lifelong, and discipline. This is a lifelong effort on the part of a Christian. This is a discipleship text which requires discipline and self-denial. It's a challenge to every Christian for all the days of their lives. No Christian ever works his way through the text to move on to other pursuits. No Christian ever works his way through the text and yet doesn't move on to other pursuits. You get stuck right there for the rest of your life trying to develop godly character in your life is what he's trying to say. You need to have all diligence. That word, that word there, diligent, means zeal. You ever seen zeal? Go to a football game. You can see zeal. Some of it very misdirected. I'm not going to paint my face different colors or wear a cheese square on my head to watch a football team. No, a little bit less to baseball. But you can see a lot of diligence, a lot of, you know, Effort and zeal, but that's what he's talking about here is you need to jump into this and apply it with everything that's in your being saying, God, I am going to do this thing. But he says, add to your faith. That's where it begins. It begins with your faith. It begins as knowing Christ as Savior. The first thing you have to understand truly, I'm not trying to say you're working yourself to heaven. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying here is that when God saves you, he wants you to develop these godly characteristics. And you've got to work at it. And why would you have to work at it? Can't God just by osmosis? I've got to. Come on, here we go. Well, yeah, he could. He could make you a little robot. And he could say, okay, Dwight, this is the way you're going to act, walk, talk, and be. Instead, he says to me, look, Dwight, this is the way I want you to act. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to act that way. But you're going to have to want to do it. You've got to want to do it. I'm not going to make you do it. Well, God does have his way of making us do things, (laughs) whether we know it or not. It's like the old guy who said, uh, I'm kind of like a mule when God hit me. You have to hit a mule upside the head to get him to do anything. And then you can just sing, he touched me. Anyway. Sometimes that's the way God deals with us. But the point of the matter is, he says, I want you to... And the reason you have to work at this is because you've been born in sin, you have a fallen nature, and you're struggling with that old nature. Paul talks about it. He talks about the struggle. Oh, the man that I... I, What I want to do, I don't do. And what I do, do, I don't want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. But then he gives us the answer. But through Christ, I don't have to be that way anymore. So he gives you the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I want to. And besides, when you work at something, it becomes a lot more valuable to you. I can remember when I got my first car. I can remember the fact that my dad told me, he says, I'm not buying you a car. I'll help you finance this car. So I bought a 57 Chevy, four-door, no post. Oh, I love that car. Paid 500 bucks for it. I won't tell you when that was. But anyway, 500 bucks. My dad says, you've got to pay $10.50 a week on that car. Because if you don't, the bank's going to come get it. And you're going to lose it. And you're going to have to buy your own gas. I ain't buying your gas for you. So you're going to need to get a job then if you're going to pay for this. Well, okay, now I've got to get a job. So I get a job. I pay the thing. I pay the car off. I get that done. I buy my own. You know, you go through the whole thing. And then when my dad passed away and I went to close the bank account... 
I asked the girl if she had any documentation about the loan I took out for my car. This is many years later. And she goes, oh, no, there was no loan. You were just putting $10.50 a week back into your dad's savings account. Okay. But it taught me a valuable lesson. That car was very important to me. And the fact the gas I put in it was very important to me. <laughs> All right? And working a job to be able to afford the car, to be able to drive to school instead of walking or taking the bus. So please don't make me take the bus. It became important to me. So when you work at these things, God, it's kind of like God saying, look, they're going to become very important to you. They're very important to me, God. In God's eyes, these are very important characteristics to have. Now, I want you to add to your faith. Now, a lot of people take these things and they have different illustrations of these, of these seven things. Some people like to build a ladder. They have like faith. Add to your faith virtue, knowledge. And so they build, oh, you're climbing that ladder. Eh, I guess it's all right. Some people like to say, well, you know, you need to add this and that. And, the, and I'm like, yeah, well, the problem with those, I think, is that you get into the frame of mind because of the way we are is like, okay, um, okay, God, okay, I got my faith, I'm saved. Now I'm working on moral excellence or virtue. Okay, I'm working on that. As soon as I get done with that, I'll work on knowledge. And you may be stuck on that first one for a long that I don't I don't think that's the way it's supposed to look. I think it's the fact that God's working on all of these in your life at the same time. Kind of like the spokes on a wheel. Your faith is the hub, and each one of these each one of these characteristics is a spoke. So what happens when you get all the spokes? You get a well-rounded Christian life. So I think we have to look at these as all going on in our lives at the same time. The trick or the key is to recognize which one of them God's working on at that moment in time. But you're going to add something, or your first thing he says there, rather, in your faith, supply, in your faith, supply moral excellence. Now, I want to go through these pretty quick. Um, we don't have a lot of time to sit and dwell. If I was in the Sunday school class and we were teaching this, we'd probably take about a week on each one. But we don't have that kind of time. I've got barely 30 minutes, so it's going to be a little quick, all right? But let's look at this first one, moral excellence. Some translations use virtue, and I actually like the word virtue better. But it does, it does denote in the Greek word courage, valor, fortitude. It's the goodness of character, the moral strength, or the moral courage to do what is right. Moral excellence. To do what is right. To do what God asks you to do in your life. We see what's going on in the world. We see all of the immorality that's going on in our world today. For us to have a different moral standard or a higher moral standard or a godly moral standard can be quite a job. Especially when everything you see in the movies, on TV, on Facebook, on YouTube, everywhere you can pick, just pick something, it's completely opposite of what God says is moral excellence. And where do we get this, this virtue, this spiritual courage? It comes from God. It comes from His Word. It comes from His standard of moral excellence. Again, back to Philippians. Finally, brethren, when he goes through whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable and right and pure, in verse 8 of Philippians 4. Whatever is lovely and of good repute, if there is any excellence, that is our same word. Any moral virtue or moral excellence that's worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
And how do I develop this moral excellence? Well, first I've got to know what they are. I need to learn to put them into practice. And, the easy, and one of the ways is, what does God say about it? What does God say about my, my morality? What does he say? How does he say I should live? How should I be? What should my words be? What should my actions be? What should my faithfulness to my wife be? What should all these things be? God outlines it pretty clearly in Scripture. And I tell you what, going through the Old Testament again and reading through some of the laws that he lays down, I can see what he means by a a different moral standard. Because he gave the Jews at that time a law to live by that was a very high standard of living compared to the, the people around them. And that had to be a big struggle. And we see that as they wandered 40 years in the desert, that it was quite the struggle. But you have to stay in the Word. You have to understand what He says. Look at Jesus. Look at His moral standards. Look at what He did. Look at how He acted. That's the standard we should have. Doing good deeds. Uh, Deeds of love and kindness. You know, coming to church is great, and we should do that, and we should love one another and take care of one another, but it extends out and away from this building by the morality we have. Yes, it's the right thing to do. So you could say, do what's right. Do what God says is right. Have that courage. You know, there's a little quote that I read one time about these. Uh, Let me find it here real quick. It's about... And I lost it, but I'll get it. We'll come back to it. I'll find it. But it was a really neat quote about, oh, here it is. I like the way this, this was a quote I read one time about all these virtues, especially when it comes to courage. An author put it this way. He kind of paraphrased the verse like this. "Add, Add to your faith the virtue and courage of David, and to the courage of David the knowledge of Solomon, and to the knowledge of Solomon the patience of Job. And to the patience of Job, the godliness of Daniel. And to the godliness of Daniel, the brotherly kindness of Jonathan. And to the brotherly kindness of Jonathan, the love of John. I thought, that's kind of cool. But that first part, the courage, the virtue and courage of David. David who said, why are you letting this heathen make fun of God? You've got all these soldiers and you, why are you doing that? He had that moral standard and the courage to pick up five smooth stones and put them in his sling and head out to meet Goliath, the huge, tall, whose spear was the size of a weaver's beam. If anybody here has ever seen a weaver's beam, it's pretty good. Not quite the size of a four-by-four, maybe a two-by-two. But anyway, still the point is he had the courage and the moral standard to stand up and say, I'm not going to put up with that. And sometimes that's what we have to do is we have to say, my moral standard is God's standard, and I'm going to stand up for it. I'm going to have the courage to live it and do it. Now, what do I need to add to that? He says, okay, moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge? Well, wait a minute. Shouldn't knowledge be before? Shouldn't it be the first thing? One theologian put it this way. I think we can understand this in the light of Romans 1. Sinful men reject the glory of God and establish their own glory. 
And as a result, they were darkened in their minds and are unable to grasp the divine revelation and truth. As a result of our salvation, we are now able to recognize the excellencies of our Lord and regard His excellencies as worthy of praise, embrace them as qualities we desire in our own lives. And when we embrace these virtues, we are then able to grasp the knowledge with which comes the next list of virtues. Once we have the courage and the standard, now we want the knowledge on how to apply those things. Interesting word, and it really means practical intelligence or insight. It doesn't necessarily come from all intellectual pursuits, but it also comes from spiritual knowledge. It comes from the Holy Spirit teaching us, enlightening us on the Word of God, opening our minds so that we can understand, so that we can understand the doctrinal knowledge that we see in Scripture, so that we can understand what God requires of us, so we can learn how to study, how we can grow in our character and our ability to implement all of these characteristics in our lives. You know, head knowledge is one thing, and head knowledge is a good thing. But head knowledge is not the only thing. Sometimes you have to take that knowledge and put it into action. Because he does say that if you apply these characters, you will not be unfruitful. But remember this. It's great to, to learn the technical things about Scripture. But don't forget the principles and the application of those principles. You know, I can say, oh, there's 66 books in the Bible and there's 27 books in the New Testament and each one of the books do this. And I can tell you and I can quote you all this stuff. But if you never put that into action, then the knowledge becomes useless. It's got to go from here to here to here. But you need that knowledge. You need to get into the Word of God. And you know what? In this day and age... (laughs) Compared to what I, I mean, I think about it for a minute. Let's see. I need to look up the Greek word. Oh, there it is. Oh, I see this Greek word. Oh, that's really cool. No, it's not having to pull out your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, which is this thick, and then going through and finding the word alphabetically, then finding the number for the word in Greek, and then going to your concordance and looking up the Greek word to find out what it means in context in that piece of Scripture. What used to take me 20, 30 minutes to do, I can do in a matter of seconds on my phone. We've got it today. Use it. I mean, I've got the Logos Bible program, which I absolutely love. I've got other, and I love these things. I got bookshelves of books that I don't have to reach to, but that's an advantage. I should increase in my knowledge and use it to apply the principles that I'm learning in the Word of God. Don't just learn the facts. Learn how to apply them. Because I think, in the next one, if you learn how to apply them, you'll definitely learn that one of them is self-control. Now I'm going to step on toes. You know, when I, was, when I first got saved, and I used to go to church, that people would come out of the service saying, Boy, that was a good message. I got my feet stomped on. I got really raked over the coals. Well, that can be good. It lets you see what's going on in your life. But when it comes to self-control, this is something that in our society today, very few people practice. That's why we're at where we're at. Because the world has no self-control. They yield to their lusts and desires. And they're blown around from one lust to another, from one thing to another. And we see that. 
and what's going on in our society today. But we as believers should be different. We should add to our faith self-control. We should master the body, master the flesh and all of its lusts. Master the desires and appetites and passions and urges and cravings that this flesh has. To live a godly life, we need to learn to do that. And again, how do we learn that? Well, we get the knowledge from the Word of God that teaches us about self-control. And there's lots of things we could say, but i tell you one of the, just a couple of things that are the most valuable when trying to learn self-control. One is the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the first thing as a believer. Prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to give you strength to do it because you can't do it on your own. The flesh is strong. Don't mess around. It's strong. And we all have different desires, temptations, and lusts. The third thing is finding somebody who has been able to conquer that and learning from them. That's what we call discipleship or accountability partners. I may have a weakness in this area, but you don't. So you can teach me how to have strength in that area. But I don't have a, I don't have problems with this area, but you do. So now I can, we can help each other. That's why as a body of believers, it's important to have the fellowship of fellow believers, to be in a grow group, to have accountability partners, to be disciples, is because you can learn how to have that self-control. The Holy Spirit, prayer, and accountability. There's a lot more ways you can do it, and there's lots of information out there on how to work through self-control. But you gotta have God giving you the strength to do that. Because you can't do it on your own. There's, I remember when I quit uh, when I quit drinking and smoking. I did I did it cold turkey. I did it at the same time. And I was in the military, active duty Air Force. I'd go in the chow hall. I was single then, living in the barracks. Oh boy, let me talk about that. And I had a roommate. Boy, did he get all upset when I poured all the beer down the drain. Anyway, so I go in the chow hall, eat a good meal, and the first thing I do is reach up here for a cigarette. Well, I quit smoking. So I had a verse that I would just run in the ground. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> right? Until God took that desire away from me. And the same thing with the desire for alcohol. But the point being is, part of the characteristics of your life should be self-control. And you need God, you need the Holy Spirit, you need fellow believers to give you the strength to learn that self-control. To pray at that moment in time when you're tempted and say, Lord, please don't let me think that thing or do that thing. Because in the world, there is no control. One theologian put it this way. In the world, this is the exact opposite It's in stark contrast to the greed and false teachers and the sexual abuses of the pagan world. Left to itself and its own devices, the world is out of control because sinful people are unable to curb their passions. Christians must be different. They must not be liars or or take liberties, but must exhibit self-control in their lives for Christ's sake, for our testimony's sake. Learn self-control. And then that self-control is perseverance. Well, that's a good one to have next because if you're going to practice self-control as a characteristic, you're definitely going to have to have perseverance. That can also be translated patience. But it's endurance 
during adversity. It's pushing through it. If you're going through something bad, just keep going. Again, the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, God in your life. Again, God saying to you, think on the right things. Those things we mentioned in Philippians. And then work on the characteristic in your life. And God says, God's promises all through Scripture to help us and give us strength. But you're going to have to have perseverance. Not only when it comes to self-control. No, you got to have patience, perseverance. you got to be when you're reading the Scripture. I can remember when I, when I was in Alaska and I'd gotten back right with the Lord and I was trying to read through the Bible again. I determined to do daily devotions. I was going to get up every morning before work. I had to be at work at 7. So I was going to get up in the morning. I'd get up at 6 o'clock and then going to read my Bible and pray. So I got up in the morning at 6 o'clock the first time, put my Bible out on my bunk, and got down on my knees and fell asleep. That fast. And when I woke up, late for work, time to go. But I did it again the next day, and I did it again the next day, and I did it again the next day, and I did it again the next day. And I'm not bragging on me about it. It just took that perseverance that until finally I wasn't sleeping anymore. And I was reading, and I was understanding, and I was staying awake. You just got to keep at it. You can't be passive. You need to be active. This word in the Greek is it's an active word. It's not passive. You can't just sit back and get it by osmosis. God's going to put you through trials and temptations to work, to, to, to refine and to help you implement these characteristics in your life. So don't be surprised when you have to be, you have to push through something or a challenge is before you. One theologian said the idea that Christianity is an unending round of mountaintop experiences is unrealistic. There's a daily routine, a mental task, the disappointing circumstances, the bitter grief, the shattering of pain, the shattering of a plan, and the pain. Perseverance, the art of bearing up and pressing on in the face of all that seems to be against us. In Luke 21:19, it says, "In your patience, possess ye your soul." Persevere. It's a necessary characteristic. Stick in, hang in there. Don't quit. And to your perseverance, godliness. Now there's a word. Have you ever tried to define godliness? I have. I don't think I have. At least I tried to. It's like the guy who came up to me one time. And I made a comment. Barbara and I were running a Sunday school bus route and I was teaching the kids. And I made a comment about uh, uh, God had called me to teach children. I think that was a comment I made. God had called me to teach kids. And so the man came up to me and he says, how do you know God called you? How do I put that in words? It's the same thing with godliness. How do I define that? Well, we can simply say being like God I mean, it says in the previous verses, verse 3, His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the true knowledge of Him. Who? Who's Him? Jesus. Called by His own glory and excellence. This word could also be translated piety, which is a word we don't use much to get today. 
And basically it can be defined as a deep reverential religious fear. Not only worshiping God with everything in our, uh, not only worshiping God with our mouth, but with every outward act. Because we love Him, we adore Him, we want to magnify Him. We want to live in reverence and awe of God. And it would be so conspicuous that people would see it in our lives. And how we walk and how we talk. What we do, where we go, what we say. Some people use it in a derogatory derogatory fashion. They'll say to you, holier than thou, what makes you so special? Other people look and say, you're different. Why are you different? Why is your moral standard so high? Why do you watch what you say and where you go and what you eat and who you watch and what you read and what you listen to? Why do you do that? It's because I reverence God so much. I love Him so much. I want to act like Him. I want to walk and talk. Not be Him. (laughs) Please no. That's heresy. But I want to be like Him. Isn't there a song that goes that way? I want to be like Him. To have that godliness in our lives. And then the last two are more outward focused. Brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness can also be decided as doing good deeds, showing love to the brethren, which more or less leads to the outshowing of love. Brotherly kindness, having that preference to do good to people, especially the brethren. Because I'll tell you this. If you can have the kindness and love for your fellow believer, then you can have it for the unsaved. Because sometimes it's hard to love some of us. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. It's not easy loving me. But if I practice it with you, then when I go out to reach the lost... I have that love that Jesus said, the field is white with harvest. And I can show that kindness to my neighbor who may not be living the life he should or she should live. But I want to show them the truth through my kindness. The truth that they too can come to know Christ. And then, of course, that leads to agape love. The love that we think about. The love that is an act of my will not a feeling. I'm not saying it can't be a feeling, but it's not necessarily a feeling. It's an act of my will. I decide to love. I decide to love my wife. I've decided I'm going to do that. How am I going to do that? Because God is my example. Jesus is my example. The Holy Spirit gives me the power to do it. Because I can't do it. It's not within me. I'm narcissistic. My old nature wants to only take care of I. Because what's the middle letter in sin? I. But the new nature, the godly nature, the nature, the Holy Spirit says, no, don't be that way. Be selfless. 
Love others as Christ loved. What is it? Uh, Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself for it. Men, that means you need to be able to die for your spouse, for your wife. If you look at Ephesians rabbit trail, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, you'll find out that the wives' responsibility, we always stop them. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Done. Excuse me. You're not done. Read the rest. It's like two verses for the women and how many? Five or six verses for the men? Men, that's because we need work. But still, it's that love. The characteristic that shows in my life. I think this is kind of like the pinnacle. Is that love. Because he says, if these qualities are yours and increase, what do they do? They neither render you useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the person who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted. Blinding means sometimes we've been saved so long we kind of forget where we came from. Short-sighted can tend to be defined as only only paying attention to the moment. Not the future. But how many of us think about eternity? We talk about two judgment seats in Scripture. We talk about the great white throne judgment for the unsaved, and we think about the judgment seat of Christ for the saved. But what does that mean? I'm not judged for my salvation. That's done. That's paid for. That's finished. But it says, my works, what did I do here? How did I act? Where did I go? Sometimes that verse that talks about wiping away all the tears makes me wonder when those tears get wiped away. But the point being here is, if you have these qualities, you won't be useless or unfruitful. Because if you don't, then you are short-sighted. You're blind. And in verse 10 he says, Brethren, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. If there's not some reasons here to see, to practice these things in my life, is the fact that I don't want to be short-sighted. I want to be fruitful. I don't want to be useless. I want to be used. And I don't want to stumble. Probably some good motivation there to apply these character traits in my life. These qualities. And I had a couple of things that I wanted to share about how to apply these things in your life. And then I'm going to quit. Some practical things. Well, the first thing is you have to trust Christ as your Savior. The first thing is you've got to know God. If you don't know God, none of this is possible. Without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I can't do any of these things. You have to know God. Because it says right from the beginning, in your faith, supply. Make sure that you know Christ as Savior. That's where you start. Keep your motivation right. I want to do this because this is what God wants me to do. These are the characteristics God wants me to have. Because if I have them, then I won't be unfruitful. I won't be useless to Him. I, I won't, I won't stumble. Have the right motivation. Do this because you love God. Do it because you want to do it. And be diligent to practice these things in your life. 
When you see an opportunity to practice one of them, practice it. Pray and ask God to give you the wisdom and knowledge to apply these things in your life. Be diligent, as it says, about practicing these things. And I tell you what, it'll fill your life up. You don't have to worry about being bored. I'll tell you that much. And meditate on these things. Think about these things. Think about Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Think about the things you're supposed to think on. And think about these things in your life. God, how can I be this way? Give me the power to love that person. Give me the power, Lord, to to persevere. Give me the power, Father. Please give me the power to study your word and understand it. Please, Lord, help me to have self-control because I don't want to, I really want to do this bad. Please give me some self-control. And in a way, it's kind of like putting one foot in front of the other. I want some self, Father, please give me self-control over this thing. You know, I didn't have self-control. I need self-control. Okay, I got a little bit there. Thank you, Lord. Give me more self-control. Yes, okay, Father, help me to be diligent and do this. Help me to study and know your word. And then all of a sudden, if you look back, you're not there anymore. You're not that believer who first came to know Christ. You've grown up. You've matured. You've moved down the road. And when that happens, you won't be useless. You won't stumble because God will give you the wisdom. You may stumble to begin with, and then, but as you get up and have that perseverance, okay, here we go. I'm keep after it. God, give me strength. I'm going to keep after it. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to love them. Well, there was a, a speaker one time, Charles Tremendous Jones. And he made this comment one time, you can't stop me, I'm committed. And I always took that to heart. I'm going to grip my teeth and be committed to doing what God wants me to do. And one day you'll turn around and people will come to you and say, hey, uh, have you got time to have lunch? you have time to have breakfast? Do you have a minute? I need to talk to you about my kids. I need to... And you're going, who, who am I that you want to talk to? It's with God saying to you, you've learned these things, now pass it on. Pass it on. A lot of times, He teaches us all these characteristics through other people, through other events and things in our lives. That's why it's so important to be in a grow group. That's why it's so important to have a mentor that's older than you and someone that's younger than you. That's why it's important to have somebody you can go to and talk to. That's why, you know, I'll never forget this. I've shared it before and I'll I'll share it again. A lot of times when we go up and we put our arms around somebody and we console them or help them, that's God putting his arms around us. That's Jesus saying, I love you. Through that person. Be that person. Put it into action. And a lot of times... The way you're going to do that, and I'm going to close with this because I've got to shut up, is the fact that you need to get involved and you need to do something. It says here not to be useless or unfruitful. Well, you want to learn these characteristics? Then step out there and do something. Find the place where God wants you to serve. Find that place and serve there. Sometimes it's a, it takes a little work to figure it out. You know, I started with kids. I tell you what, if you can teach kids, you can teach adults. 
because adults ain't nothing but grown-up kids. But you find a place, you serve there, you do that, you go and do the hard things, the things that scare you. Do you know this scares me to death? Do you know I sit down there and pray, God, please don't let me lead anybody astray because you're going to hold me accountable for what I just talked about? Do you know how nervous I get every time I want to come up here? And the only way I learned any of this is because God taught me through what I've been through in my life. Through some not-so-pleasant times working with teenagers. I don't know why everybody's scared of teenagers. I think they're fun. They'll scare you to death, but they're fun. In the sense that it's a challenge. If I hadn't have done a lot of the things, I mean experienced a lot of the things I did working with kids, I don't think it would make me the elder that I can try to be today. And I'm not there either. I'm learning things every day. But if you're not involved and you're not in something, learning, doing serving somewhere, it becomes very hard to develop these things in your life. So pray and ask God to work these things, these characteristics. Think on the right things and then act the right ways. Have these seven godly characteristics in your life. Be that person. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the time you've given us together today. I pray, Lord, that I rightly teach your word. I pray, Father, that you help us to depend on you for everything we do, because we can't do anything without you, Father. You are the great God of the universe. You created us. You know us better than we could ever know ourselves. And you know what's good for us. And you've taught us the right things to think about in your word. You've taught us the character traits we should have in our lives. Help us, Father. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to go and to do these things. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know what, doesn't know you, hasn't started that journey, they feel you tugging at their heart, but they just don't know how to go. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would work in their heart, convict them unto salvation, help them to understand that if they confess with the mouth of Lord Jesus and believe in the heart that God had raised them from the dead, they'll be saved. And start on this path of growing and learning through your word, through fellow believers, and the power of your Holy Spirit to do it all. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here at Calvary. I thank you for the fellow believers you give us here. You are such a wonderful God to give us such wonderful people. And I pray that we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.